Yeah, they cut us off. Yeah, how much time do you think in those board meetings are they talking about, all right, so uh, these Linux guys, all eight of them. You're mucking this up. <laughs> so I'm going to just make something up for a couple seconds while I find the music again because I decided to close that. community for all users of Linux. From that part of Super Mario where the sun tries to kill you, I'm Joe. And this is Tony, and I'm about walked out. And looking for a low-profile mechanical keyboard, I'm Leo. This is episode 369, recorded on Sunday, the 5th of September. Oh, I know what I, I, know what I did. Oh, no. Stop. There we go. Ah, okay. Anyway. You're mocking this up. <laughs> a little bit. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. First up, in the news, Linux Mint is ready for a facelift. Snaps, get an upgrade. Kernel 5.14 is out and 5.15 is looking good. Ubuntu gets a release date, and OpenShot takes on Caden Live. In security, cache flushing and Bluetooth flaws. Then in our wanderings, Joe pines a phone with plasma. Tony walks 500 miles, and I search for a keyboard. So in the news, we get a whole new Linux Mint monthly news for August. Thanks, Londoner, for the link. And this is a good one, I think. If you have ever thought you're in, in your entire time with Linux Mint, you go to the website and you're like, wow, this website looks like it's straight out of 1995. <laughs> you're not alone. And the good thing about this, though, is that um, the facelift, we looked at this. It wasn't last episode. I think it was the episode prior. Yeah, it would have been because it was about a month ago. Um, where we took a look at the Wixio site skeleton that they're using so it's got like a bunch of stock images and stuff on it but the new website is 75 percent done and clem is quoted in the blog as saying we'll deploy it on our server this month and transition our current website towards it so that is i think a really cool thing it's gonna be nice that first impression is everything what do you guys think it's always good to update the yeah looks quite cool to me yeah yeah if you look at uh, the GitHub site looks like they need some additional stuff. Looks like re- release notes, new features, and donors pages is still being worked on. The brand page is being worked on. Um, but that seems to be about it. There's a little work on the CSS, uh, some of the logo and font in the header footer. But yeah, there's a few things that still need to be done, but things are looking good. Things are on track, and I think that's probably a, a little bit more than the 75% that he was talking about. So in the time that he released that, it looks like it's gone up a little bit. So that's great. I'm excited for it. First impressions are everything, et cetera, et cetera. So folks that come to the Linux Mint website won't be scared off by thinking the the distro is uh, stuck in 1995. (laughs) Uh, Man. Tony, I can't hear you. 
Sorry. Hey, there I it is. Okay. Me. Mike was off. I thought it was me. I heard I heard the first little bit of what you were saying, and then uh, and then I didn't hear anything else. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought we agreed on our last show that uh, it was probably 2010 rather than the 1990s. <laughs> the the old website. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it is an improvement. It is. It very much is. I think if you if you're curious as to what that that might look like a little bit, take a look at the uh, uh, two episodes ago on YouTube, and we kind of scroll through what it's looking like. I mean, honestly, it's modern. The things fade in. Big, huge pictures. I think that's that's a that's a big a big upgrade for uh, where we were. Uh, but good. It's really good. So sticking with uh with with the look and feel of things, some of the artwork is going to change as well. So. Mint Y is being streamlined to provide less complexity and work better in a variety of cases. So really what that means is they're getting rid of the darker variant. So there, there are three variants right now that come with Linux Mint. There's dark, uh, which is dark. There's light, which is light. Well, oh, well, actually not light. It's just the non-named one. So like Mint Y, yellow, whatever. And then uh, they've got darker. So darker is a mixture of the two where you've got like top bars and where all of the um, the icons are, you know, like the magnifying glass and all that kind of stuff, that's all dark, but everything else is like light mode. So that is going away soon because it has poor compatibility with the mono icon themes. And I couldn't find a mono icon theme in Linux Mint, so what I think he's talking about there is the high contrast theme. So it just didn't look good, so they're just scrapping it. Um, do either of you two use the darker version, or is it just light and dark? I was just going to say a lot of this is lost on me because yeah. I just use stock. Whatever, whatever oh, I get yeah. with Marte, I just leave it. Oh, so, so you're, I'm quite you're, happy with it. You're using a light theme then? Yeah, but it, but it's the stock one that right. comes out of the box with the ISO, and I just leave it because oh, okay. it works for me. I don't, so. I don't change it. Oh wow, I still have I still have theming tendencies, so uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it affects me more than it affects y'all. But. Um, I don't actually use darker anymore. Right, right when I started using Linux Mint uh, again, when they came out with a darker version of the theme, that's what I went to because I didn't like a full dark theme because some applications didn't work with it. But over time, the dark theme integrated better. And then I, I fully swapped over to the dark theme. So lucky <clears> for me, this won't affect me either. But um, if you're using that middle theme, uh, eventually it will just go away. Yeah, I, th- I think the... All these different themes are good because, like I, all three of us wear glasses yeah. and everyone has different eyes and some people are more comfortable with different uh, visual effects. Yeah. So I think the fact you've got the, the choice is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just happens for me that Marte, uh, the Linux Mint Marte, comes comes in with the uh, one that works for me anyway. But. Uh, if I did need to change it, I've got the option to change it if I want to. Yeah. There's one thing that I've been kind of missing that's not part of the news or anything, but it's uh, a few months ago, Clem had announced that they were going to add some updated color versions of the themes that already existed. Like the blue would be a higher contrast blue. It'd be sharper. Um, the green would be a little limier. And just, you know, a lot of the colors were going to get that kind of, they would pop more, I guess, is the mm-hmm. idea. But there was a lot of backlash on that. And I, I really feel like it was going to be, it's more of a, um, you know, vocal minority kind of thing that came back on that. But to be honest with you, I'd, I'd love them. If, if he could put those out as like variants or some way to install them, like a package to use to install them, um, that would be amazing. Uh, because as it stands right now, I'm going to have to go and compile it myself because these themes aren't like regular themes. 
they have to be compiled with Python or something like that to, to actually work. So I'm working on that. I mean, that'd be kind of cool if I could get it to work and then uh, show people how to do it. But yeah, I want I want a higher contrast or a, a, a poppy or blue. That would be amazing. But uh, one day, one day. So anyway, so speaking of themes still, though, um, there are going to be five applications, at least right now, that are going to not ignore. They are going to go against the grain as far as light theme goes. Celluloid, XViewer, Pix, Hypnotics, and Gnome Terminal. So Celluloid is the music and video player that's default. Uh, XViewer, what what is XViewer? Oh, it's the image viewer. And Pix, which, oh, okay. So Pix is the, uh, like, the the image, uh, like, library thing where you can manage all your images. And XViewer is just the the thing that'll view the images. Uh, Hypnotics is that uh, online TV thing. And Gnome Terminal. All those will, by default not respect the light theme and show up in a dark theme. But in true Linux Mint fashion, you can turn that off. So I think that's really good because the dark theme seems to like fade into the back and get out of your way. So even if you're on a light theme, that might not be a bad idea, especially if you're watching a video or something like that. So that's cool. Some new changes coming. Um, We got some new emblems. So emblems are the little icons down in the bottom right-hand corner of your icon. So your icon's icon. And so there's some new ones that um, are a bit, I guess, more ex- descriptive of what they are, right? As, uh, you know, text, favorites, uh, emergency or warning or something like that. Or, you know, I've already looked at this document. I've already reviewed this document, put an emblem on it, something like that. You can do stuff like that with pretty much any icon in the, uh, in the entire uh, distribution. But it's just kind of nice to see some better looking ones as well. And in the last little bit, is having to do with the title bar of Linux Mint. So on the default themes of Linux Mint, um, two things. Number one, if you're looking at Firefox on YouTube right now, you can see what the icons look like for minimize and uh, maximize. So minimize that little rectangle and maximize are two arrows going uh, diagonally in opposite directions to kind of signify, you know, get bigger. Um, but it looks like Clemens decided that those things are not descriptive enough. And I think that's probably the right choice because if you're coming from a Windows background or most other Linux distributions, it has that same visual cue where it's one thin line on the bottom for minimize and just a box for maximize. I think it's not necessarily more descriptive, but I think it's just more comfortable for, for a lot of folks. So that's what's going to happen. So Linux Mint will uh, get these the little the little flat line and the square to represent those two things here pretty soon. Um, and then the last little thing is having to do with the X button. So in the X button, uh, when you hover over it, um, in my opinion, I've always thought they were kind of small. So I don't think the size is going to change, though it does kind of look a little bit bigger in that, um, in that screenshot that he's got. But I don't think they're actually getting bigger. I think what's happening, though, is the clickable area is going to get bigger. So while the icon is not going to get bigger, you can click kind of around it as well, and that will work. And then, of course, when you deselect a window, which I think is already its default behavior, the circle is going to go... Oh, actually, no, I I see it. I see it now. The circle is going to go fully away, leaving the X to just be kind of a gray shadow of itself. So that circle will go away when you deselect the window and will come back when you select that window again. So it it helps with um, identifying what window is in the front. So yeah, some really cool stuff. Um, so they're looking at GTK4 support. I know Hoosie in the chat was asking yesterday um, because of uh, Jeremy Soller and the GNOME team were kind of back and forthing on Twitter in a, 
not so great way where uh, theming is just not a priority for GTK4 or the GNOME team. It's not. Everything is going to have to be funneled through Libidwida, and you have to play by their rules, which is don't theme anything. Well, that doesn't really work very well for Pop! OS, Ubuntu, Linux Mint, Elementary OS. Well, I think Elementary OS has figured out a way to do it. But basically everybody that themes anything on GTK, um, it's always been no, but now it's no for real because you have to work around it and hack it to, to make it actually work. So in GTK3, it was still considered a hack, but it was easy, right? I mean, you could do it. And so anyway, that's the deal. GTK4 support's being looked at. Some more color variations. Please, please, Clem, give me the good ones. That's what I want, please. And then that'll do it. They got a new sponsor, DOS Keyboard. I looked at them for a keyboard, but I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Anyway, Snapcraft 6.0 is out. So if you're on Linux Mint, you probably don't have Snap installed unless you went and uh, installed it yourself. But it looks like the... Oh, you do? Okay, so cool. Do and, I. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> I don't. Flatpak seems to work very well for me. But for y'all, this means that uh, Core 18, which was the Ubuntu base, 18.04, is getting pushed to the background. It's not going anywhere. So all the apps are still going to work. And all the apps that depend on Core 18 will continue to work in in, uh, in perpetuity, right? Until Core 18, I guess, is uh, fully deprecated, which likely won't happen anytime soon. But... It's being replaced by Core 20, which is the 20.04 uh, 20 base for all the snaps. So this means that apps can take advantage of the newer base of Core 20. Um, but with this switch, we lose one, we gain one. One uh, i386 dropped in Core 20. There is some very basic things that are kept in uh, what they call a skeleton list of i386 dependencies. But pretty much outside of that list, if you're going outside of that list, I don't know how you're going to deal with that other than just continue basing on Core 18, which still supports i386. So it's not going anywhere. It's just not going to be available in Core 20 if that's where you want to base. Um, but we gain RISC 64-bit support. Yay! So for anybody that has a RISC, a RISC chip, uh, you're going to soon be able to run snaps. Ooh. So for all the developers that base on Core 20 and you are on a RISC chip, you'll take advantage of any of the software that's available there. So it's up to the devs to choose whether they want to be on Core 18 or Core 20, but uh, for those of us as uh, as users of Snap, we won't feel anything. <laughs> so if you, if you Snap things, uh, you'll probably have to deal with this. Uh, not very long, but uh, you will. And everybody else, we just get to enjoy the, the cool updates. The next up is kernel 5.14, which is the kernel that's going to be released in Impish Idri, which is uh, Ubuntu 21.10. Uh, so this is the kernel that we're going to take advantage of in Linux Mint soon after release. And I'm extremely excited for it because that means uh, an AMD GPU driver upgrade. Yay! I'm pretty excited for this because, um, as you've probably heard me uh, drone on over and over and over again. I tend to prefer AMD over NVIDIA because I don't have to ever think about what driver I'm using. And when kernel upgrades come or when Mesa upgrade, upgrades come, I just upgrade them and take advantage of all the new performance benefits. So just little incremental changes like that are fantastic. One other cool little change, though, is um, in 5.14, you get support for KVM on uh, ARCH64, which is for the Pi. Hey! So you get KVM support on the Pi. Uh, well, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's what that translates into. On the Raspberry Pi, if that's giving you the ability to run virtual machines, how would that work on something that's so low-powered? Uh, I mean, 
you're not going to be running 12 VMs of you know the same no, no, operating system. But you can do things like running an Alpine Linux VM, which is a, an extremely slimmed down version of Linux, uses like 50 megs of RAM on boot, and really, you know, any I guess with the Raspberry Pi 4, I mean, you have the ability to have eight gigs of RAM. So while you can't do CPU intensive operations, you can certainly get a lot of VMs running. And Nishan asks, yeah. uh, does that mean Pinebooks too? I would suppose so, yes. <laughs> he says he's an NVIDIA user. Yeah, it's fine. True. You can be an NVIDIA user. That's fine. I prefer not to be <laughs> just so I don't have to think about my operating system totally blowing up because it decided to upgrade its kernel or something. Uh, fun times. <laughs> anyway, a couple of cool uh, 5.15 kernels, which will be coming in about five or six weeks. Um, Next Gen BZ Wireless. So that's not the name of it, right? I mean, we have AX and all this stuff. BZ is just the the, the pre-name that we have for it. But this is the uh, Wi-Fi 6E family of wireless chipsets as far as Intel is concerned. So this is like the 6 gigahertz Wi-Fi. So we have 2.4. Well, uh, yeah, we have 2.4. We have um, 5 gigahertz. And then now we're going to have 6 gigahertz, which I would assume is going to give us a lot more bandwidth, a lot more throughput um, over wireless. But um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of the preliminary more modules through walls and things. Though would be my guess. I was just thinking yep. that. Yeah, that's the deal. I mean, with five gigahertz, you're already you already got to be you know a few feet uh, within range of the of the thing, and then you know you don't have to have line of sight. But the better that is, the better your signal is, and all that. So yeah, it'll just be fast. What well, we had, I remember reading something about lidar, which was you had to be in line of sight. But it was screaming fast, like 10 gigs or something like that. It was, it was. Yeah, that was a couple of years speed. ago. I think we were mm-hmm. doing the show at the time where somebody had come out with a, a LiDAR router, but it never caught on because basically anything would block it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's pretty much true. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I remember in that they were trying to put it in like all of the light fixtures in a room or something like that. So you could be anywhere in the room. So, I don't know, but it seems like a lot of work just to get something like that working. Um, anyway, so uh, BZ Wireless is uh, in 5.15, and then there's additional M1 rudimentary graphics support. So Alyssa Rosenzweig has been working a lot on getting things painted in Debian, and she's making a whole lot of progress. And this graphic support landing in the kernel means that uh, she'll be able to do even more work. So what do you guys think? You think with the uh, with the M2 chip, the one that comes after M1, do you think Apple's going to pull the plug on all this and change absolutely everything so none of it works anymore? Do you think they're going to worry about it? I, because what it, whatever we do uh, in the Linux community, I'm not talking about me personally, I'm talking about the community, there's a hell of a lot of work to get it to work anyway. Yep. And... For the vast majority of people who, who are going to be buying these machines, they want they want Apple. You know, yeah. there, there yeah. are going to be one or two geeks who are going to be prepared to spend the money because it's such a lightweight uh, and good, you know, battery uh, life. But the majority of people are just going to buy AMD or Intel machines yeah. uh, to run Linux on. They're not going to be well, buying M- M1s and M2s. Yeah. Apple is really good hardware. You, you can't argue Granted, that. Granted, yeah, if you can the, afford the, it. The, yeah. the screens are great. Um, eventually, you know, they're going to hit the secondary market and be a whole lot cheaper. And not not a whole lot. They don't they don't lose a lot of their value. But, well, they but don't your, lose your point a lot stands. of their value because 
the hardware is basically top end and it's going to be that way for, well, at least reasonably usable and pretty darn good for an extremely long time. I mean, look at the 2012 um, MacBook. The it basically didn't receive a major update until 2017. And even now it's still usable. So yeah, it might take a while, but once Linux gets on there, they can change it however they want. Eventually it's going to end up on there and people are going to end up using it just to extend the life of that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and that's what, that's what people are doing with Macs now, but yeah, I don't think they care. I don't think Apple cares. Um, how, how much time do you, out of it. yeah. How much time do you think in those board meetings are they talking about? All right. So, uh, these Linux guys, all eight of them, uh, they are, they're hacking our <laughs> hardware. And they're they're making some changes that I don't think we tend to agree with. So in M2, what we're going to do is we're going to spend a lot of engineering time. We're going to spend engineering Blocking time <laughs> to change it so that they can no longer take it's it's. I we, think we, it's we silly. We say that we say that, but uh, Windows did that exact that exact thing more or less. Yes. Yeah. Well, and they're under still who? doing it now. Are they? Well, look at uh, Windows 11 and the requirements for that. You have to have that um, oh. that, that specialized chip in it. it yeah, the it, TPM. Yeah, to prevent anybody else from installing anything else on it other than Windows. Yeah, yeah, but but keep in mind that Ubuntu is still fully installable with TPM and Secure Boot, and mm. so are any other distributions that decide to get their signed shim. So yes, I get that Windows is trying to force this, but I mean, you have options. You can go buy a Mac or you can decide to use Linux, which, I mean, I understand is a very small minority of people, but you have options. And, I mean, most and people, I, still, I think, they're just going to go buy another laptop. That's what they're going to do. On this dual boot machine right here, sometimes the Windows updates still brick my grub, and I got to go in and <laughs> manually fix it. <laughs> yeah, but that's Windows, and I, I don't think that's they're being mean to Linux. I just think they don't particularly care. And same now, with Apple. They don't care now, they don't now care. it doesn't happen as often as it used to but back in the day it was every other update bricked grub yeah well i mean i get that but and again if apple breaks what linux has gotten uh, you know what 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 the people in linux have gotten the progress done like if that breaks it's not going to be cut be because there was a board meeting and they all decided to break linux it's because they changed their engineering toolkit or something like that and, and whatever we created just does no longer works not because they're trying to chase us down. They're not actively right. against Linux, but they do want their newer hardware to be uh, Mac OS based for that yeah. little bit longer in order to keep making money off of us through advertising and everything else. So, yeah, for the first generation or two, I suppose they would try I mean, and find ways to restrict. Overall, running Linux on a Mac is a hack. And if that breaks because the hardware changes or something like that, then it breaks because the hardware changes. Uh, it's not going to make hackers want to do this any less. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I guess this is their thing. You, you could also say in the other direction that, uh, you know, running Mac on a, a Windows box is a hack. And so, yeah, that it's definitely not the easiest thing in the world to do. And you figured they'd, they would want their operating system in as many places as possible, not just necessarily on their own hardware, but they sure push for it. Hmm. But back in the day when um, Apple was on PowerPC chips, mm -hmm. it was harder to get Linux on it. It was possible, but it was, you know, there had, there had to be a special release like there is for uh, ARM chips. Uh, and now, and we've gone back 
Yeah, but yeah. but Debian has a PowerPC release now to continue running on those like 2004 Macs. Correct. Yeah. So it'll get yeah, there, I mean, and it, it will will be fine. Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it for that. That's good. Anyway, so uh, Ubuntu 2204 gets a release date. Yay! So if you go down, you see feature freeze February 24th. You get uh, user interface freeze March 17th. So that's the that's the last of the gnomes that are going to be coming in. Um, beta freeze March 28th. Kernel freeze April 07. So April 7th. And I, I want to say I did the math. I think that's going to put us at about, at about kernel 5.17. I'm hoping that's what we'll get. Because I think uh, it would be in March, maybe late February, early March, where we'll get that uh, last kernel. Uh, and, uh, all things, you know, running smoothly, of course. So this is giving us an indicator of what Mint 21 is going to look like. Yes. And then uh, mm. April April 21st is going to be the actual final release. So April 21st, you will see all things uh, go well. You'll see Ubuntu 22.04, the new long-term support release. And as Tony said... It's what Linux Mint 21 is going to be based off of. <laughs> oh, by the way, thanks for that link, Dale. Um, I do appreciate that. And then Londoner snuck another one in on us, uh, which is a Firefox one. Joe, I know you love Firefox. So um, Edge pulled ahead a few months ago. Uh, and I think it's because a lot of the, uh, you know, they're, they're now Chromium-based and you see a lot of people upgrading and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, and, and of course, there's, there's folks on Linux that are using Edge as their day-to-day, -day, which is pretty cool. But uh, they edged out Firefox <laughs> a few months ago, and Firefox has clawed back a little bit of that. So we're looking at Firefox at 3.55% uh, of the market and Edge at 3.57% of the market. Of course, Chrome still dominating at 60, almost 65%, and Safari um, pretty far behind at uh, 18 and three quarters. So... Uh, as we were talking before the show, I've fallen a little bit out of love with Firefox. Blasphemy. Because I've now found it was Firefox that was causing some audio glitches while we were recording the show. Absolute blasphemy. <laughs> uh, so I'm now, uh, I've got my show notes. He, he's and, uh, switching all of his machines over. He's <laughs> never going to use Firefox again. He is a diehard Chrome user now. All right. Ooh. No. Ugh. Wrong. So are you using Chromium? Only when I'm recording the show. Yeah. Are you using Chromium Chrome right now? or nothing. I'm using Chromium. Chromium. And uh, also but, uh, before the show, I, I realized that Chromium is the reason I have to log in every single time I try to log into YouTube with the Mintcast um, account. Keeps kicking me out. There's one other place that I have to use Chromium on, and that's when uh, we use uh, Jitsi for our log meetings right. at the moment. And Jitsi runs better on a Chrome base than it does on Firefox. So I use uh, Chromium then. Nishant says, be ready to have less RAM with Chromium. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that's not an issue on this machine. I've got 24 gig on this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chrome is the reason I upgraded from uh, 16 gig to 32 gig on my server. Mm. Server slash garage desktop. Yeah. Oh, well, that's our Firefox bashing for this yeah. week. Yeah. Well, the last last couple of bits on that stat uh, on those stats though is um, Opera takes up two point seventeen percent of the market share. <laughs> That's my title, man. Firefox. At least we're not Opera. <laughs> That's terrible. But somehow, somehow, Internet Explorer still has half a percent of users of of, of all users. I don't, I don't know how that's possible. But um, yeah, that's that's the deal with that. 
And so I'm going to just make something up for a couple seconds while I find the music again because I decided to close that out. But anyway, let's go find our <laughs> transition. Wait, no, let's go find our security update. Let's 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 go do that. Security update. Oh, oh see, I'm just okay. You know what? This live show is just going amazing. That's that's amazing. So, uh L1 caching. Uh, L1 cache flushing available in curl 5.15. So, okay. Can you explain? <laughs> yes, yes. Let me go back. Let me go back. So we we did explain kind of how uh, Meltdown Inspector work. These are, um, your CPU basically guesses what you're trying to do and throws that into cache. Whenever you need it, it's going to pull it back out. It's super duper fast. We found out, though, that there were some really bad flaws about this. None that we have found that are exploited in the wild, but... At least academically, we can pull out very uh, various bits of data, which include things like passwords and non-encrypted bits. Because in cache, things aren't encrypted because you know it's not supposed to be available to any other process other than the process that's using it. So, anyhow, this is especially bad in shared environments like KVM, which we were kind of talking about in the pre-show. So. If you're running VMs, this is a particularly bad type of attack that if it were, uh, you know, applied to you, uh, you could lose a lot of data. Um, you know, at best, denial of service. At worst, all of your passwords are gone. So in a uh, kind of a counter to this, in the kernel now, we are able to flush L1 cache. So what this means is all of that stuff that the CPU has been guessing about, we can ask the kernel to say, hey, just flush it all. If if you've done a, a particularly high security or high risk maneuver in um, in the CPU, you can immediately after you're done, flush the cache so those particular vulnerabilities, Meltdown Inspector, don't come back to bite you a little bit later. Can I ask a yeah. Ask a question. Yeah. Can you actually automate that so that it flushed the cache every if you if you were working on something that was really security sensitive, mm -hmm. could you say flush the cache every 30 minutes or something like that while you were working? So as far as I know, I haven't dug too far down into the implementation, but I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case. You would you would just set that up after a particular command. Um so yeah. do that, you know, wait three seconds, flush the cache, something like that. Cool. And then uh, there's a new Bluetooth flaw called Bracktooth. So I ended up looking at the... Oh, by the way, thanks, Londoner, for this one. Um, it, I didn't really see much explanation in the, uh, in the tech radar. Uh, so basically, all, all we get in the tech radar um, write-up is researchers note that the vulnerabilities could be exploited for different types of attacks ranging from denial of service to arbitrary code execution in certain Internet of Things devices. So if you connect up to your Internet of Things devices um, over Bluetooth, then, you know, all of the attacks, that's that's pretty much it. So there's a, a wider write-up on this one. Uh, there we go. Let's see. Yeah, and, I, and unfortunately, I just didn't get enough time to actually look into it, but... Um, what I'll probably end up doing is talking about this a little bit more on the Saturday show, uh, just simply because um, it's super interesting. So they've got um, a video showing how it actually works using Ubuntu. So that does absolutely affect us. It's a hardware thing. So it doesn't matter what operating system you're on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can crash things and then you can actually attempt to run code. And this is, it looks to me like it's any device, 
any device using uh, pretty much current versions of Bluetooth. So we're going to need updates on all of the stacks. All of the Bluetooth stacks are going to need some kind of update to mitigate this particular thing. And the fact that it's everything, right? Everything from just plain denial of services and crashing the software to um, arbitrary code execution, meaning they can run things on your computer. Uh, that is, it's a scary thing. So I imagine in with uh, 5.15, we'll probably see a mitigation for this one as well. So anyway, uh, a short security update, and that will do it. So let's head down to our biweekly wanderings. been you've been fighting who you've been fighting everybody mostly ah yeah work and you know fighting with the school district for my children's rights to an education has been most of my time lately uh granted my wife has been taking care of most of the stuff for the kids but it has still been very stressful and i do help when i'm not working my mm-hmm. wife has been doing most of the advocate advocating for the kids and working to get them an education and helping other parents do the same for their kids I don't know if anybody knows the situation here in Texas, but the local schools in this area will not allow any type of remote learning, including for kids that are immune compromised and are likely to have very severe reactions to COVID. And the COVID numbers right now are absolutely insane. Um, They also refuse to have any type of mask mandate or impose any type of social distancing in the school. The the state has zero ICU space left, at least in this area. Um, more than 90% of the people that are sick are kids, you know, in that 6 to 12 range where they're not allowed to get the shots but still have to go to school and interact with each other. Um, the parents here have expressed these issues to the local school board, and all the board did was quote the law and, and say that they were not required to do anything more than they have already done. So, yeah, blame somebody else. That's yeah, the way it goes. Yeah, it, it, it's not their problem. And they are adamantly, adamantly against anyone getting any type of homeschooling unless they're, like, uh, completely hospital-bound. Yeah, well, we we just don't have the funding for it. There was no funding approved oh, for there that. There is so funding there's approved just no money. for it. No, there is funding approved for it. There is federal uh, funding that is given to the schools specifically for that this year, same as last year. So that that's that's not how it is. That's totally the opposite to here in the UK because every school has to do a risk assessment and this even though it's no longer a requirement for children children uh, at school to wear masks when they go back in this next few days um a lot of schools are still saying because of the high rates of covid they're going to ask uh, particularly in um, 11 plus education, they're going to ask ch- uh, children and young adults to wear masks because right. they deem it still a risk. Well, some of the schools have gotten around the, the, the governor and him saying that schools that uh, put in mask mandates are not going to get any funding. Um, they've gotten around that by making it a part of the dress code instead of, a, you know, a, a COVID mm. thing. Some of the schools um, have gone remote anyway because they were basically being shut down because of the COVID numbers. And then some of the schools are literally shut down completely right now just because they had such massive outbreaks within the school. 
But like the school here is barely even tracking. We've had one uh, teacher die already. Thankfully, no kids have died, but they're not really even posting any type of tracking whatsoever. They will say, oh, one person, at least one person in such and such a class came up positive. But then they're not requiring people that come up positive to stay home. You can come back 24 hours later so long as you don't have a fever. And, yeah, and if you get a positive test, all you have to do is go find another doctor that says it's not COVID, and then you can come back that same day. It's it's absolutely insane. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Oh, a, a lot worse, especially with the Delta, the Lambda, and now the Mu variants. And the Mu variant is supposed to be even more resistant to the vaccine. So, yeah, uh, and they're less than like, I think it was right around 50% of the adults actually have the the vaccination around here, which is in, in, insane as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the 6 to 12 range, they can't get it at all. And my daughter, my middle child, is immune compromised, and her brother is 11 years old, and they want him to go to school so that he can go and get sick and then bring it home and then she gets sick, but they're not letting her stay home either. So, and this is more politically led than it is health, it public is. health led. Yeah, it, is. It, it is. And it, it's just, it's extremely stressful. Yeah, I can understand that. Yep. Anyways, moving away from that hot topic, um, <laughs> I installed Manjaro Plasma on the Pine phone. Because I really wanted to get back to testing it. And uh, I, I put it on the SD card and loaded it on the phone and went through the first screen setup. And then it got stuck with a flashing cursor. Thankfully, a reboot fixed that one. Um, I do think the Plasma desktop is much more impressive than the one that w- was being used by Ubuntu. I did have to jump through some hoops in order to get the initial update process started. And I do like that there were a lot more applications that were available on it. Um, what impressed me the most after I went through all the torture of getting the updates working correctly, uh, I could install and use SSHFS just as if it were on a regular desktop, including using compression. It, it Granted, it still wouldn't play high-quality videos very easily, but it did work, and that is a start. I mean, you can install desktop applications on the thing, and that is pretty awesome. So Nishant's asking how the performance is for those desktop applications. Are they, are I, I, they quick, I, snappy? I, I, they are somewhat snappy. I will uh, discuss that a little bit. Um, okay. Now, with the access to the terminal that actually works, I was able to install a couple of programs, but in order to be able to use them, I needed to turn off scaling. So it's normally set to base. When you first turn it on, it's set to 200% scaling. I had to drop that down to 100% scaling in order to be able to see all the buttons in an application. So that makes everything extremely tiny, but still usable. So Um, a higher resolution screen, would that that fix that? uh, Well, no, not really. Um, Having applications that were optimized for such a small screen would be better, or having it hooked up to a larger screen. Of course. But um, uh, a higher quality screen, everything's still going to be tiny. See what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. 
And it looks really, well, it looked really good, but I'll get to that in a second too. It looked really good, even at that really tiny scale. Uh, sometimes, you know, I gotta, I'm old, so I gotta bring it up close to my face to be able to see the percentage numbers for the battery and things <laughs> like that. But uh, overall, uh, slowness bringing up apps wasn't an issue or anything like that. Um, now, with the scaling off, I was able to properly use Midori. I installed Midori, and I loaded up Plex. Uh, I was able to play videos, like, watchably, mostly, but I had to dial the quality down to 240p, which really tells me that the um, uh, video optimization is not on this device, and um, that... Uh, Graphics acceleration, graphics hardware acceleration isn't there yet either. So um, another thing I installed was Barrier, which is a uh, fork of Synergy to allow me to use a mouse and keyboard that's hooked up to another machine to it. Um, the install worked and the server saw it and connected to it, but when I moved the mouse onto the screen, nothing would happen. I mean, it would say that it was there, but then nothing would come up on the screen of the device itself. No keyboard interaction or mouse interaction whatsoever. Now, when I hooked it up using a uh, USB-C dongle, everything worked just fine. So, yeah, that, that is an issue. I was also able to install X2Go server and client. They both installed, they both looked like they should work, but in the end, would not connect in either direction. So I couldn't use it as a server and I couldn't use it as a client. It just wouldn't work for whatever reason. Um, I assume it's probably system D related. Um, now, one of the most recent updates also caused an issue with the screen rotation in, in landscape mode, where it would only work while the device was upside down, but then the touch screen was the right way up. So yeah, that made things interesting for a little while trying to get that turned off. Now I could fix that manually, but I just left it in portrait mode there. And then now, during the show, um, it said that there was another update. So I ran the update, and I rebooted, and sadly, all I get now, is after I um, put in the password and open it up, is a blank screen. So I'm going to have to try for something else. No. Yep. So wait, so it borked itself on update? It, the, two different updates, two different borks. <laughs> see, like oh, no. here, you can see the lock screen. So the lock screen is there, but then um, I, I bring it up, I put in the password, um, and then it just goes blank and stays that way. I can SSH into it, which is nice. So if I knew what was well, wrong, I could fix it that way. Huh. But, well, I guess that's not a big help when you want to actually use the phone. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I could use it as a server. Well, I, okay. I mean, that's not uh, terrible, server. but still, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what good is that? <laughs> it's not. It's not. But no, it was. Re I really liked Manjaro and its ability to drop down to the terminal and actually install full applications and be able to use them like a regular desktop. Now, limitations, of course, because it's a phone. But still, I was really, really liking how much more I got out of it with Manjaro than uh, I was getting out of it with Ubuntu. I well, also, heck yeah, man. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I also want to say that on the Ubuntu, the phone would get hot and the battery would not last very long. I kind of expected that to be the case with um, all of the operating systems, but I really didn't get as much of a problem with that on Manjaro. So, um, yes, if I was running something heavy, like watching something on Plex, then it would still get hot. But it wouldn't just regularly be hot. It was almost pocketable with Manjaro and not Ubuntu. And Nishan asks uh, about TLP. Is that even a thing on uh, the Pine phone? Is, do you even do that? TLP? Yeah, so it's like, um, I forget what it stands for, but you, most laptops... Yeah, it's a battery saver. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yep. yeah, TLP. Um, I had I did not install that, but I suppose that with Manjaro, I easily could. I just don't know how well it would interact. I mean... Right, right, right. Because it, it, what it'll do is it'll, like, turn off Bluetooth when you're not using it or uh, turn off Wi-Fi if you're on wired or something like that. So it, it'll, you know, it saves a watt here and a watt there. Yeah, um, it probably could. But, well, the battery is at 75% now, and it's been unplugged for a good 12 hours, 13 hours. Oh, well, cool. Then, yeah. So it already does that then. Either TLP is already installed or they already have that figured out. Um, I guess, yeah, what, what, what uh, you might need was, to install something like Thermal D, yeah. where maybe it's just getting too hot, and Thermal D will clock the CPU down, so it'll at least chill it out a little bit. But, yeah, it's... um. It was definitely getting a lot hotter and going through battery a lot quicker with Ubuntu than it has been on Manjaro. Now, I'll either try one of the... I'll, I'll see if there's any other Arch-style arch, arch style builds that are available for the phone. Or uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I want to try next. Or maybe I'll try and fix this one. but um, Or start over with Manjaro if I can't find anything else that I like. And, and see if the... Uh, Updates don't brick it the second time around because it also could have been something that I installed. I was trying different things out, so we'll see. One of the other things I did over the last two weeks was I attended a virtual seminar on journaling. Um, I, I really liked that seminar. Um, I, I used to do a lot of journaling in the past, and I'd, I, I'd, I would love to get into it again. Granted, I've been saying that for like 20 years now. Um, but it is getting harder to juggle all of my hobbies and responsibilities as it is. Um, still, you know, I, I can't solder all the time, so maybe I'll, I'll take up journaling again. Okay, I, I got a solution for you, something. though. So, so just pop open a terminal, hit journal CTL. And that'll that'll help you look yeah, at uh -huh, uh -huh. yeah the Somebody internal journal. journal yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll <laughs> give me a lot to read. Okay, but um, I, I was able to finally design and print the case for the the that second Bluetooth adapter that I built out of an old set of headphones. Um, it holds the device together very well, and while I do have a couple of redesigns in mind, they're really not necessary. Um, the case doesn't require any glue. It's extremely secure on the body of the adapter, and it, it will allow me to repair anything that breaks on it. I can take it all apart and fix anything that needs fixing on it. The only thing that I really need to add at this point is a shirt clip of some kind, and that's not really difficult. I have a couple of designs cool. for that already. All I'll have to do is print one of those out and glue it onto the back of that case. Um, 
I really didn't want to glue the whole thing together into one piece because I really need to be able to take it apart if anything goes wrong with it because it is a DIY build and who knows how long it'll last. So that is my second one and I'm really enjoying that one, but it is kind of huge. Uh, my son has been using the the smaller one, the one that's like a hockey puck, like except extremely thin um the the sony one that i made and uh my one issue with that is it doesn't do pass through so i can't charge it and use it at the same time uh but it does work extremely well it's a the high quality device and that one's all screwed together instead of um gluing or casing or anything like that uh, we've been using it while we go on walks around the block so that uh we can be prepared for when we go on our hiking trips in a couple of weeks. So he's been really enjoying that. And well, I've been enjoying it too, because it gives me another opportunity to hang out with my son, listen to audiobooks, and go for walks. And that's kind of what I've been up to for the last couple of weeks. And I, I know Tony's been walking a lot more than I have. 500 miles. Well, yeah, well, that, I think that's a slight exaggeration there, Leo. But, uh, yeah, I have been doing quite a bit of walking. So, uh, since the last show I was on, not the last show, but the show before, uh, I, I missed it because I wasn't very well. I had a virus, and that took a, a little while to fully uh, clear up. Uh, so, I've not done an awful lot of stuff until I went on holiday last week. Uh, and we've actually been to the UK Lake District. We we only live an hour and a half away from the Lake District here in the UK, which is great. And uh, so we went up to Grasmere for a week's uh, holiday, hired a little cottage so that we could do our own thing, either go out for meals or, you know, prepare simple meals and stuff like that, and also prepare our own uh, pack lunches or pack suppers when we were going walking and uh, we averaged around about eight miles a day we did nearly 60 miles in the in the week that we were away which was great okay I, absolutely so i added it. an extra zero so what <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, we've, we've done longer walks but we've not done consistently walking every day for a full week kind of thing uh, like that uh, so it, it was good. So the first day, I actually went out to uh, a shop in uh, Ambleside, just uh, down the road from where we were actually staying in Grasmere, and uh, spent what I could have bought a laptop, uh, a nice, good quality uh, second down laptop, uh, on a pair of boots, <laughs> walking and hiking boots. And they are very good quality ones. Uh, but it was well worth it because uh, we actually. Uh, did some quite serious uh, walking upside of uh, quite steep hills, uh, and one of the one of the um, walks we did, we we ended up at a thousand feet elevation from. Wow. Yeah, so that was quite good. I enjoyed that. It was very steep on the way up, and it was even steeper on the way down because we came on a different route on the way down. So we decided next time we do that walk, we'll probably come up and go down on the same way right. that we come up. <laughs> but no, it, it was good. I guess that, that's one of those situations where you're halfway down and you're like, this was a mistake. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't too bad. Uh, if it had been wet, 
and slippy, it would have been a lot worse going down. But because we we were both wearing the proper gear, proper boots, we go. both had our walking walking poles and everything. It was it was manageable. Oh, we just hear. had to take it easy. So yeah, if it had been a, a wet and slippy day, it would probably have been a bit probably more advisable to go down the other way. While we're away, I actually managed to get Debian 11 installed as a dual boot on the, the laptop I took with me, but we're going to be discussing that in uh, the innards, so I'll probably leave that uh, to uh, our next section. So what have you been up to, Leah? I've been the, the really same. Um, things have been getting in the way of Linuxy stuff, so... Yeah, I've I've really gotten the chance to look into some keyboards. Um, I don't need one. I really don't, but I want one. And um, so I've been looking for, uh, I, I kind of want to change, right? I still want to stick with a mechanical keyboard of some kind, but I want to change in that uh, I have used like the Apple Magic keyboard. And one of the things that I took away from them is like the keyboard is fine. It was just a switch key, so it felt like a laptop, but that wasn't quite what I wanted. Um, but the size of it was really nice. I enjoyed the fact that it was super thin and that the key travel was very light. Uh, I, I learned to type a long, long time ago on really, really crappy uh, keyboards. I want to say they were mechanical, but I can't remember at the time uh, that far ago. But, um, you know, there was some force that you had to use. So, you know, I got to the point where, you know, I'm smacking keys or whatever, but little by little... Um, no, that was especially... just regular keyboards. They weren't, me they weren't mechanical, but nobody really cared. Yeah, I mean, it could have just been really bad keyboards. That's, that's totally possible. But... Um, you know, I think one of the things that I've I've gotten is like with the uh, the reds and black switches that I'm using now. Um, it doesn't. You don't have to bottom out the key. You can go about maybe a third of the way down, and that key will actually. What's the word? Like it'll actuate. That's the word. Um, so you know, you press the K key about a third of the way down, and the K shows up on your screen. So you don't have to bottom the thing out, and that's where a lot of the noise comes from with mechanical keyboards. Um, but anyway, uh, so I, I want. Even less travel. But yeah, yeah, that trash. Uh huh. So what I really want, though, is the ability to have fully, just fully less travel altogether. And that's what these low-profile keyboards will do. I think you lose like 0.1 millimeter. I mean, so it's not, it's not a lot. But what my intention is, is to not ever fully bottom out the keys and kind of float and do the least amount of movement possible. So uh, I don't know. I guess maybe that's efficiency. I don't know what that is. So anyway, uh, there are a couple options. You're looking for short throw keys. Yeah. I mean, as, as short as I can get them with the least amount of noise possible, um, especially on the come up. So the other half of the noise that happens with a mechanical keyboard is those springs will pop your key back up. So if you take your finger off of it, I mean, there's a there's a nice pop at the top of that. And I don't like well, that either. Well, you can either. lubricate your so, keys. Right. Of course. But uh you know, the simple solution, I think, without having to take anything apart and, you know, slip oil on things is to just, if you go shorter, there's less room for that key to pop up and there's less noise overall. So, I mean, obviously, lubrication will probably be the easier way to, to deal with that and not have to even think about it. But um, there are a couple options that I've found so far, and I would like to crowdsource this. If you have anything that matches um, the, the two keyboards that I'm looking at, uh, so one of them 
is a Keychron K3. That's one of these. All right. So here's the other here's the other requirement. Um, I can't have a tin key. Uh, if I have a tin key, what happens is my keyboard is the the left part of the keyboard stays where it is, and that tin key moves out to the right, which means my mouse hand has to go further out to the right to be able to have enough room to do what I need to do, and that adds pain to my shoulder. Uh, I don't know if that's because I'm old or because I have really bad mouse, um, like what, what's the what's the word like? Just I, I don't use the mouse well. I don't know what it is, but anyway. Technique. technique. That's it. I have terrible Mac uh, mouse technique. That's possible. Um, but the, the end result is after about 30 minutes, I'm in pain and I don't want to do anything. So no, uh, I, I need that 10 key gone. So at the very least, I need uh 10 keyless, which has, you know, like print screen and the arrow keys and insert and home and all that off, off to the right. And that's fine. It's as far out as it goes. But this key, uh, Keychron K3 has only one column to the right of the backspace key, to the right of the inner key. And that's that's actually preferable. So it's got page up, home, page down, and um, delete, and a print screen. Okay, two things. On these small keyboards, I need two things. Number one, a dedicated print screen button. A dedicated, because I do a lot of print screens. I do a lot of images and things like that, and what I don't want to do is have to open up a menu and find Spectre or find the screen capture application. I don't want to do that. That's, that's annoying. Uh, and the other is I can't have like the 60% ones that get rid of the F keys because those keyboards get rid of the tilde as well. And then you have to do like funk, those Mac, weird Mac ones where it's like like command shift caps control 1 5 and 8 and then you and then that's a tilde. Like no, I don't want to do that either. So I need a, a dedicated tilde key and a dedicated print screen key and this Keythron Keychron K3 has all of that. Check out the uh, the one. Phantom L. I just posted it in the uh, YouTube. Phantom L. No, that's a car. Dan says, you're not old. I am. <laughs> Dan, you're not that much older than me. Please. Techware, Phantom L. Okay. Okay. I immediately don't hate it. Uh-oh. Low profile. I like this. It's got a tilde key. Otemus. So are they swappable? Um, it, They're supposed to be. Ooh. Shorter travel and actuation. Hold on. I'm looking. It, and there's one additional thing. And I see there is software now. One additional requirement. The Keychron K3, all the Keychrons, have the software to change the lighting built into the keyboard itself so you don't have to install some software on Linux or Windows or something to handle it. Yeah. Uh, is that what this software is? Th this is hot swappable. Customize per key RGB lighting. So, yeah, I no. think this is probably the killer for me. Right no. here. Like with um, my RK100 that I have out in the garage, um, I can, from the keyboard, change the lighting layout. But then if I want to use the um, the per key, I have to load up the software for it. So if I want like, uh, my WASD to be a completely separate color from everything else, I can do that. But right. I have to go and build a custom uh, lighting arrangement for that using the software that they give. And that's granted only right. Windows. Then I can go back to my Linux machine and it'll still be set up for that. But then I, on one of the the memories that it has built into the keyboard, but then I can switch back and control the lighting scheme through any of the standard ones. Got it. Okay. Oh, what? what? It's only 35 bucks. The red one is 50 bucks. I have Otemu reds already and I think they're too loud. Um, I've put O-rings on the bottom. I haven't oiled them or lubed them or anything like that, but 
If you mm. think your Otemu but, Reds are too loud, then yeah, they're probably bottoming out. Well, no, actually, they're too loud on the on the come up. Uh, <laughs> I've I've put O rings on the bottom. They're they're very they're very quiet on the way down. But on the way up is what uh, I think is causing me the issue. But the low profiles may be different though, and yeah. they do have low profile Otemu Red, but fifty bucks. The Keychron is seventy five. Well, eighty five if you want the RGB, which actually I do. RGB Red. Oh no, they're Gator, they're Gatoron, not Otemu. So um, yeah, this is if if I can't find anything in the time, this is probably what I'll get the Keychron Keychron K3. But I was also looking at the SK six thirty Vulcan Death Grip keyboard shortcuts. I just saw that, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so for about the same price, you get the Cooler Master SK six thirty, which is similar. One nice to have is that the the Keychron has the F1 key right above the one key, and it's great for gaming because I can do more F keys easier. Um, but that's a nice to have. All all of the F keys I have are uh, over the two. No, F1 key is over the two could, key and all that. No. You could go completely custom, and uh, I'm not doing that. That costs too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the end, it costs too much. Actually, to... th- this this one here, the just the PCB is forty bucks, and that's a good start because then you know thirty bucks for all of the the switches, which you know uh, I'll buy you a set of blues if you really want. God, no. Yeah. Return to sender. Return to sender. <laughs> oh, but, man. Uh, no, here, check this one out. I mean, that's a full-size keyboard, and it's program, uh, what, um, hot swappable, programmable, and you can build it yourself. Granted, uh, by the time you're done buying the back of the thing and the plate yeah. and the thing, and, uh, yeah, you'll be lucky if it doesn't yeah. cost 300 bucks. Yeah, throw me that link anyway. I mean, I'll, I'll like to I, I drool put, at I it, but it, I, I, I doubt it, I'll go that way. I put it in the YouTube again. Nice, nice, very cool. So, all right. Well, if anybody out there knows of a low-profile keyboard mechanical with red switches that, or or actually any switch that's linear and quiet, um, l- yeah, let me take a look. I need a print screen yeah, key. I need the tilde key. Interested in like um, uh, blues and browns? No, no, blues and browns. No tactile, linear only, and quiet. <laughs> the All right. Well, anyway, better. well, yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll wrap this section up, and uh, yeah, that'll that'll be it for our wander. Well, the regular announcements are, of course, next episode, two p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, the nineteenth, September nineteenth. Uh, and the next live stream is going to be uh, Saturday, September 11th at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time. So in the show notes, go get those links for the time conversion for your time zone. I might be on on the Saturday show. Woo! Oh, wait, and I we're going to be doing haiku, man. I have to be on the Saturday show. No, because we're doing something else. <laughs> oh? You're giving me a lesson. Yeah, you're doing all the links. A lesson stuff. on how to set up all the... Uh, um, live stream and everything. Live stream. Oh, and all that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I could totally do that for sure. And then if we have time, we'll do some haiku. I'm, I'm curious about the haiku thing. I really am. All right. So, um, yeah. So that'll do it for the show, Joe. Where can we get more of you? Well, you can catch me on a couple of my other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, or you can send me an email, jb at mintcast.org. And Bo's not here this time, but you can get him at undercastnetwork.com or find him on the Undercast Collective over there on YouTubes. And Tony? 
Yeah, you can uh, listen to some of my old uh, Hacker Public Radio uh, podcasts. So, uh, I'm host ID338, if you pop along to HPR. Uh, I'm on Twitter, TonyH1212. I'm on I'm TH at mintcast.org, or you can get me on distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. And Josh Hawk's not here, but Josh on Tech at mintcast.org, at Josh on Tech on Twitter, and most other social sites. Uh, including uh, Crowbar Kernel Panic. And one other thing that we forgot to mention in the announcements, though, is that Mike, as well, um, let us know that he has uh, familial obligations and will not be returning to the show. But as for me, leochavez.org and at leochavez on Twitter, at leo at c.im on Mastodon, uh, or, of course, linuxuserspace.show. That'll that'll keep happening. Just let's say we will miss Mike. Yes, Definitely. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Mike, for all of the shows that he has been on thus far. Owen Peary, for our audio editing. Josh Lowe, for all of his work on the website. Hobstar, for our logo. InitRD, for the animated Discord logo. And Londoner, for our time syncs. ByteMark Hosting, for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org, for hosting all of our audio files. And, of course... The Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. And come. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint. We, we, I never took it out of the template, and Mike put like Mike, I'm awesome or something, yeah. and so I just saw Mike and skipped it. I would have read it had I known you made some changes. Yeah, I, to I it. made a change. <laughs> Mike for being lame. Yeah.